0: As we go through, so it'll be good for us this morning. Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. And In those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. i just stop there for a second. Here was a growing church and there was a lot of things that needed to be done and it says that there were two groups that were kind of at each other. They were, there were murmurings going on. And uh, church was never about just coming and just watching. Church is not about just a Sunday. Church is what we are, okay? And we ought to assemble, but folks, when you leave here, you don't stop being a Christian, do you? All right? And we're supposed to be the church in the world, not the world in the church. So we're supposed to have an impact on our world around us. We are a body. We're not an organization. We're not a stadium or a theater or a cinema. You know, an organization does everything it does for us for money. But we do it because it's how we live now. This is the life we live. Uh, a body cannot survive with just a few of the parts working home can't survive when just one person is carrying all the load. When dad's sitting on the couch and the kids are in their rooms and mom's doing all the work, that's a bit unfair, wouldn't you agree? That's sort of the classic home life that we all grew up with. And it's wrong. In a church where there are a few people, if only sometimes just one, doing the majority of the work, it's not right. So a body, every part of the body at work makes for a strong church. And church reaches the world. Church is about turning our world upside down. Um, It takes work to go soul winning. It takes work to take time to go out of your way, to go door knocking, to go and talk to somebody, to pull the gospel track. It takes effort. Uh, Prayer meetings take effort. You got to take time that you would normally just be sitting down and watching TV. And it it takes effort to come and say, I got to be at church for a prayer meeting. Counseling people takes time, takes work. When you're going to try and help somebody, it takes effort. That church was a busy church. They were also not only doing all of those outside things, they were were ministering to one another's needs, like shopping for people who um, were unable to get out of their house and get food for themselves. They were paying bills for people that had no income. Preparing meals, mowing grass, they were patching peaky, leaky, loof, leaky, loofs, leaky roofs, mending fences, sitting, and just say that ten times, leaky roofs, all right? Uh, they were just sitting and talking to people, ministering to one another. And look back in chapter 4, and I want you to see something that's marvelous about this first church. Acts 4, verse 34. Acts 4, 34. Just this first part, it says, Neither was there any among them that it wasn't because they were all wealthy. It wasn't because they all owned their own house or uh, things were just peachy keen on a holiday. Look what it says. For because as many as were possessors of lands or houses, they sold them and brought them, brought the price of the things that were sold. They laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. So they were at work trying to make sure everybody was taken care of, not waiting on the government to do it. That sounds like a perfect world. and It was, but it didn't stay that way. Nothing stays perfect very long. But biblical Christianity is busy ministering to one another and reaching our world. But as usually is the case, murmuring began. Go back to Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. Again, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, we're talking about thousands of new Christians, there arose a murmuring. Now, if you will notice, because widows were neglected. Now, it's hard enough being a widow. Some of you women are going, it's hard enough being married, right? But being a widow is is hard enough. But back then it was super hard, especially if you changed religion especially if you left your birth religion, left your family's religion, and you started following Jesus Christ. These these brand new Christian widows, they had at great cost to their livelihood had decided to follow Jesus, and they were immediately rejected and abandoned by their family. How would you like to be locked out of your house and told, go away? But that's what grandma was told. They were abandoned by their families. They were left to die. That was the attitude they had towards, I'm talking about families, toward the widows in their families, uh, the the single moms, the, 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 the grandmothers who had lost their husband and now they got saved and now they're being rejected by their own families who were remaining Jews. And these were Christians who were struggling to make ends meet. And the Christians in, in, in Jerusalem were going around, going to the grocery store, collecting messages, making meals, bringing food, but they kept skipping one group, the Greek-speaking widows. Now, that's interesting because you think, listen, it's a widow. But no, this was not a Hebrew-speaking widow. You know, we, we do have preferential treatment towards some people, don't we? We look down on people who are different than us. We like people that look like us, sound like us, talk like us, understand us. But in a church, we're more than just us. We're a whole bunch of different cultures all thrown in together like a salad. <laughs> and Jesus said, love one another. And that's hard. The United Nations is late on the game. This is the United Nations, folks. A Bible-believing church that follows Jesus Christ has got all kinds of things and all kinds of people, and all kinds of needs, and we can't say, well, I don't like group or i don't like that person i like that culture that person doesn't talk like me but that was going on in that nearly perfect church back then you see what i'm saying there are no perfect churches by the way but they were doing pretty good but because somebody was not a strict hebrew speaking ex-jew they were neglected look again what it says verse six in those days they were hated but they were neglected. In those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians, that means the Greek-speaking Jews, against the Hebrews, the Hebrew-speaking. These were both saved. They got born again, but their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Ministration means the daily taking care of, ministering to their needs, taking them food. And it was threatening to divide the church because there were a lot of, of, of... Jews that had moved to Jerusalem. They had left their homes they, in, in, in faraway places. They, had not, they, weren't, they weren't speaking normal uh, like all the other Hebrews. They were foreign to Jerusalem, but here they were, and they're, they're uh, in church, but they're not really equal. So there was a division, and you started to have grumbling and complaining by two different groups. Now, in verse 2, it says that the, that the few cannot do it all. Then the 12 called the multitude of the disciples. They called for a big church meeting unto them, and they said, It is not reason. It doesn't make sense that we, the apostles, should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, I'm, I'm, there's no doubt that they were doing that. But they were like tired of doing that. They were like, We can't prepare to preach. We can't teach discipleship, we can't hold Bible Institute, we can't go soul winning, and take care of widows. We need help. Can you hear them saying that? We need help. So, uh, that was when the apostles came up with a biblical answer from Exodus chapter 18. We won't look there. But Moses couldn't do everything back when Israel left Egypt and they were in the wilderness. And so God said, get you some help. So he got 70 men to help him with a million and a half people. 70 men came alongside, helped Moses guide and lead Israel all the way to the promised land. And God said here in Acts chapter 6 through the apostles said, you guys need some help. And here's how he did it, how they did it. Verse 3, wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you. Don't look in another church. Don't look out at another place, but look among you. Seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom, may we, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves. I like that word. Those words mean we will anchor ourselves. Even this, this is the modern word right for it. Ready? We will addict ourselves to prayer, continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What they were talking about was sharing the load. Sometimes it's, it's you know, a lot of people don't understand my life. I don't understand my life. But I, when I first started the church, I had people kind of make fun as I would go door knocking and I would invite them out to church. And I had teenagers and grown men say, get a real job. Because <laughs> I tell them I was a pastor, get a real job. And they had no idea how much time I put in to the ministry. So. We we have this misunderstanding of what the ministry is. I'm sure there may be people in this room who think that on Saturday night I climb up into my loft and I reach out my hands and I pull out a piece of, of paper and I just jot something down and then I yell on Sunday morning. And the rest of the days I just sit out in the back and I eat grapes and you know read the newspaper. Listen, there's a lot of work to do in a church, whether you've got a hundred or a thousand there's a lot of work there are a lot of needs there are a lot of things that go on that need not only planning but need carrying but i want you to see what is the purpose of if why why help not just because somebody needs help but because prayer is needed to be done the apostles weren't just asking for help they're saying help us so that we can focus on prayer and the ministry of the word has to keep going um So let's learn how to do the work of the gospel so that prayer and the ministry of the word stays the center of this church. So the most important thing we can do, look there again in verse four, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This first church needed, um, well, I don't know if you ever asked yourself uh, what it is the core work of a church But as we just said, it is prayer and the ministry of the word. And in that order, sometimes I get things out of balance. Sometimes I'm so busy, I don't take time to pray. You know, God sometimes pulls the rug out from under you and says, You forgot me, dude. You spend the time doing all the right things, but all the right things done by Craig Ledbetter will fail. But if you spend time with me, all the things done will be done by me, Jesus says. So, prayer so that we can do the ministry of the word there's no greater work than these two things you say pastor what, what's the most important thing that you do oh, well it's not raising money it's not providing entertainment don't my main goal is not make you feel good okay i can't even make you laugh eric always shoots me down when i try to tell a joke so we're not even going to try to provide entertainment amen Having fellowship and fun, and I love having fellowship and fun. Feeding the poor is not even our greatest work. Prayer and preaching are our greatest work. Prayer. Praying is a constant internal effort that seeks God help. Ask asked the guys last night when we met for prayer. We come in here and we clean up here. All the benefits that you experience on a Sunday morning, everything's all nice and tidy and all clean. It smells nice. It's because we come in on a Saturday night and we clean up and we make sure everything's ready. But right after that, we pray. And I asked the guy, he said, why do we pray? And we have all kinds of answers. But you know why we pray? Because we need God. We need his help. And we, we forget that. Praying is when we choose to rely on the help and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. That's prayer. Prayer is spending time with the one who loves you and gave himself for you. It's a private time you have with God. You have to make time for it. There should be a constant prayer going on throughout every day by the people of this church. I ought to be confident that you're praying for me and that you're praying for one another. And that it's not just on occasion when God's people lift up prayer. Then there's preaching. Preaching and teaching everything in this book from start to finish. There's nothing in there that people don't need. It's all true. And preaching is an outward effort to change the world we live in. Are you happy with the world we live in? No, you're not. I'm not. But what happened is our parents, our grandparents sorta got content with this world and sorta just let the politicians make the rules and we stopped having an impact especially as christians and ministering the word preaching the word teaching the word changes our world we forget that we're not just hiding in here we're this is a rally to get us so that we go out there and we take the word that we learned today out there tomorrow preaching you know we need to answer people's questions People have given up on God because they've not met anybody in a long time who had an answer for them. They don't know where to turn. I'm asking that you would help me in some way so we all can devote ourselves to those two things. I'm asking you to become busy so I can go on holiday. I'm asking you to help me so this church stays balanced. Where you find a ministry in this church that helps people. And that you'd get busy doing something as service to Jesus. Jesus actually said, when you've done it unto the least of my brethren, you've done it unto me. So find something to do. That's what a church is for. Not to come to, but to be. And to be part of and say, I want to minister. I want to make sure that I'm not going to church so that I get something only but so I can give something so that somebody else gets something so that this place is a taste of heaven every time we meet. Think about, I mean, this is a partial list. I could give you three of these lists. I have always wished that somebody would start a puppet ministry. We could go down to the park and sit down there and tell Bible stories to kids and hand out tracts. A puppet ministry teaching in the children's church once a month, once every six months, I don't care. Somebody could do that. There's got to be somebody who can do Kermit the Frog. Voice, <laughs> amen. Or Miss Piggy. <laughs> How about helping out in the church office? And I, There are people who already do some of these things, and they are a gift to this church. But we could use more. How about soul winning? There are people in this church right now who still do a track a day. Hallelujah. How about helping clean up church each week? I've got a couple of guys who just show up here and they help Coover and clean up and it is a gift. How about being available to preach? You say, Pastor, I could always do better than you. Give it a try. Come on, dude. (laughs) I'm all for it. But there are times when we have different events and boy, it'd be great to have some of our men just preach. That's a body. It's not just top heavy. Well, Pastor always does the preaching. No, Men should preach. How about Helping out in children's church next door. These kids are priceless. They are so, you say, I could never teach. You are so wrong. They don't know that you're terrible. Amen. You're stuttering through and they say, she is so good. He is the best. That is helping, caring for children in creche. I mean, whoever goes back in that creche is getting a reward (laughs) by God. Because it takes work, and we need volunteers who say, I'll help in the crash. Being a part of the welcome ministry, just standing at the door and meeting people, making sure they know that they're welcome. How many of you, just shake, raise your hand, how many of you remember the first day you came to church and how you felt very welcome? Let me see your hands. Anybody like that? I mean, that's because somebody went out of their way. Somebody, you don't remember. <laughs> somebody went out of their way. How about helping me teach discipleship? I'm doing some discipleships by Zoom. Asked by Skype and by, uh, by in person. There are people who need to be discipled, and I could use some help. How about writing our missionaries? Our seven missionaries would love to get a letter every once in a while. If you Pastor, I want that to be my ministry, where I just, I just send them something. I, I, I send them a, a, a verse of scripture or something. Just keep them encouraged. Singing special music in church. There's got to be at least half of you can sing better than me. And Sing. Start a choir again. Playing a musical instrument. We've had different instruments up here at the front. Remember that? See, what am I, what am I getting at? All right, those are ministries. Those are things that that serve others. The Bible says back in Galatians chapter 6, it says, I think it's Galatians chapter 6, if I can find my scripture. I'm not sure where it is. Yes, Galatians actually chapter 5, verse 13 says, For brethren... You have been called under freedom, under liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to your flesh, but by love, serve one another. So just because you're saved and you're no longer under the condemnation of the wrath of God doesn't mean you go live as you want. Now, by love, why don't you start serving one another? I give you that list because that's what a church is supposed to do. When we come to church, we think, well, that's all that's necessary, and that's not it. Ministering the word. That's God's pattern. So it starts by helping me find ready men among us. Look there in verse, uh, back there in verse three. Verse three says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Very interesting. The church needed to look around and see, if um, there were some people who would volunteer. Ladies, you're priceless. Let me just say this, ladies, you are a strong pillar. You, you make sure a church is strong just by your presence and by your efforts, you're vital to, this, to the strength and the ability of this church. But we need men and we need godly men in this church and the apostle says, "Find you some men who will help us." So look around, and let's let's get men into the ministry. I find it always easier. I can ask for help, and ladies will help. Now there could be all kinds of reasons. Maybe they've got time, or maybe they just got a talent for it. But when you're when you're a church, we need men. We need the strength, and we need the the the, the resilience of men who can put up with people's ups and downs, and with their emotions, and just men who can chart a course and can just serve no matter what happens. Look out for ready men. And look at the characteristics they looked for there in verse 3. Honest report. That means a godly life. Has a good track record. They're real. Uh, Spirit-filled men, which means they live by by the fullness of the Spirit of God. These are men who are not full of drink anymore and full of anger and full of porn, like most pitiful men are today. but these men are filled with the Spirit of God. They're hungry for God. they want to be filled. And then thoughtful men, wise men, people who are not arrogant or impulsive or demanding or commanding, but thoughtful and careful. If you met a man like this is somebody who sits back and they look at the needs and they're thinking about how to how do we better do this and and they're ready to just help. they're they're always, thoughtful, about not just impulsive, but ready. And they were willing to be appointed over this ministry. They're not only volunteering, but they're willing to take it on as their ministry. Uh Uh, What were they being asked to do? Serve widows. It's not the highest calling you could ever do. (laughs) To go and knock on a door and say, I brought some breakfast. Here's food for for the next few days and it's just going from house to house serving and taking care of is 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 your is your plumbing clogged up let me un, let me unstop that not a very high exciting job to clean a toilet but that's what they were doing and you know what's funny about these guys they became addicts they became addicts now what do i mean by that i want you to go to first corinthians hold your place here first corinthians chapter 16 First Corinthians sixteen and fifteen. First Corinthians 16 15 says, "I beseech you, brethren. I'm begging you, brethren. You know the house of Stephanas, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, which was a region north of Israel, in in Turkey. That it is the, that." the house, the family of Stephanus, is the first fruits of Achaia and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They couldn't get enough of it. They can't step away from it. They don't want to take a break from it. They never want to leave it. They were addicted to the ministry. And that is the kind of men we need who don't just volunteer and then disappear. You ever had anybody like that? I have a friend over in the States who has a business, and it's probably the same worldwide where you can't get people that you hire to stay. They just, they always quit. They want to go look for something else. Well, in church, the greatest thing to do is to serve and to serve faithfully. So the church offers up its greatest asset, verse 5, which are men. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Look at these men, Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenaeus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. So the greatest asset any church has is its men. Now, we've neglected that. We've made it our children. We've made it our teenagers. Modern churches, I've been in them, I went to my home church that I got saved and called to preach in and you know what it was it was a disco it still is the, a young minister became the pastor and as he, as he started to change the church he catered it for teenagers so they turned down the lights they brought in the drums and the bass, bass guitars and they made the stage full of lights and a big sign above the the, the audio of the of the pulpit that that had actually had words and a bouncing ball underneath it all the teens loved it but it wasn't preparing men you see what i'm getting at they made it into a an activity zone and not a church anymore and the greatest asset in any church are its men folks Children are the next generation. Ladies, you're worth dying for. But God wants men this day to be ready and able and mature enough to personally sacrifice their lives for a greater cause than their own pleasure. Where we, as men, decide, is there not a cause? Like David, looking at all of those other soldiers on that hillside, looking down at that giant. And and David risked everything saying, there's a reason why we need to risk our lives, why we need to give our lives. God's been mocked. God's people are a threat. Let's rise up. And he was the only one that went. But wow, what a victory God gave because a young man stood up and became a great leader. So every church's greatest asset is its men. So they put forth their greatest asset, which were seven godly men. Now you know two of them. Stephen, here, and Philip. That's a great thought. Philip is going to Lead an Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord here in chapter eight, but the rest of them you'll never hear of again. Look at their names: Stephen, where am I? uh, A man full of faith and Holy Ghost. Philip, we know him. Procurus, Nicanor, Timon. Unless that's from uh, uh, what's that? the, The Lion King? I don't know. Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. You know what? There's a great thought here. These seven godly, faithful men, out of, out of those seven, five are unknown. We never maybe hear of them again. I just know they stood up, they went, and they worked. God directs our attention to two of them, but those seven were vital to God. He put their name in the Bible, folks. How would you like your name written in the Bible? And those men made that church grow, even though they weren't get all the attention, even though they didn't get all or any much of the glory. After that, the church leadership accepted. Again, it was, folks, you find, you check, you look around and see who's got good credentials, who's capable. Bring them to the apostles, and the apostles prayed over them and, uh, and um, laid their hands on them and authorized them to be responsible for needy people. You know, it's a big responsibility to take care of vulnerable people, and you just don't put anybody in that responsibility. And so the church is saying, you're representing us and the Lord. You better do it right. And that's when good things started happening again. Look in verse 7. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied more in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. I mean, think about that. I mean, all of a sudden, as, as men started helping, and this... Not just men, but also women, folks. We're not just looking for men, but I am looking for men. <laughs> but when everybody started helping in church and started, if everybody had something to do at church, all of a sudden, the effect of the word of God spreads out. I mean, it just, it, it, it increases in influence. It go, went out to further and further towns and villages and cities. It just worked. Preaching worked when people were doing and not just believing. It says the number of the disciples multiplied. Now, I mean, I'm glad when one person adds, and here's another person added, but in that first church, they were multiplying. I mean, what's the difference between two plus two and two times, or two plus 10 and two times 10? There's a huge difference. See, we're growing more and more, and even Jewish priests were humbling themselves and getting, be like a Catholic bishop coming to the church saying, I've heard you on the radio. I've watched your YouTubes, and I'm now born again, and I'm no longer a Catholic bishop. That's what it was like, folks. Impossible things were happening. We're not finished yet. We're going to watch one of these guys named Stephen start to serve, and this is our example here in verse 18. I'm verse 8, sorry. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. So here comes Stephen, and he stands out. Up until now, all the attention has been on Peter and John and the other 12 apostles. But now the workload has been, has been sort of spread out with other men, and here goes Stephen. And God starts to write about this young man, and he puts his name into the pages of Scripture, and he says, this guy's full of faith. He's willing to trust me. He's willing to step out and do things, not because he's able, but because he believes I'm able, God says. Paul, uh, sorry, Stephen was not an apostle. He was not part of the leadership of the church. What was he? A servant. That's all he was. He became known as a deacon. The Greek word for deacon simply means servant. That's all he was. There was no power grab, he had no authority. He just went and served and he was full of faith doing it, full of the Holy Ghost. And when ordinary men like Stephen live godly and step out by faith, you know what they do? They get God's attention. I wonder what God is writing about us in heaven. Because he does keep records, doesn't he? I wonder what he writes Hmm. He writes some great things about Stephen there. I wonder what he writes about us. But not only did Stephen get God's attention, he also got the devil's. And that's a good thing too. Stephen experiences the ministry there in verse 8. Look at what starts happening. When he starts serving people, he's full of faith and he's also full of power. You ever wonder why God doesn't answer your prayers? It may be. Because you're praying only for yourself. And when you start to pray that you would be a help to others, I wonder if God would help you walk on water sometime. <laughs> now you won't. But you'll do the impossible. He was experiencing ministry with answers to prayer and insp- impossible needs being met. You know, when you start serving, anybody in this room, whoever gets busy helping and ministering, you'll end up doing more than just cleaning toilets. You know what Stephen ends up doing? Preaching. You know what Stephen ends up doing? Getting stoned. Not with drugs either. Stephen, Stephen just signed up to help take food to people. And he'll end up almost two whole chapters dedicated to his life. What's going to happen when you get heaven? Is the Lord going to honor you or be embarrassed of us? So here's Stephen, he experiences ministry. He didn't just, just, you know, sit in church, he's enjoying it and he's facing some debaters. Verse nine, then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines. So we got to watch out for that. And Cyrenians and Alexandrians and of them of Cilicia and of Asia disputing with Stephen. That means they were arguing with him. Every time he get up, And he tried to help people. They would stop him and start attacking and questioning and mocking him. And the Christians, I want you to get a picture here. There was a problem in the church. They were not unified. They were ignoring certain groups because they weren't quite like everybody else. But now once they got that internal problem fixed, they now are going to face an external problem. And look at the strength of Stephen. He's going to face arguers and debaters and challengers and fact checkers. <laughs> and they came from a fancy synagogue called the Libertines. Now, it was a mega synagogue, like a mega church. It had lots of campus churches, all right, all over the world. These Campus churches were over not only in Jerusalem, they were in Cyrene and Alexander and Cilicia and Asia. Very popular They were were the the in crowd of the Jewish faith, not of Christians. And they tried to prove Stephen wrong. Verse 10 says, and when they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Just a thought there for a moment. Never forget that when you serve the Lord, you'll do it in his strength. And, And it'll be marvelous. You'll find yourself having an answer. I mean, Weston asks me sometimes, how do I answer this? Or what about that? And what I'm, you know, sometimes you bring the hard questions to me, but I know this, Weston's probably answering people not knowing he already knew the answer or that God showed him the answer. And that's, that's part of the ministry is all of a sudden you find out, you know, I, I have an answer that I didn't even know I had. I learned it in the Bible. I didn't understand it till just now when somebody asked me about it. So they couldn't prove Stephen wrong. So guess what they do in verse where did I start there? Verse uh, 10. It says, And when they were not able to resist the wisdom of the spirit by which he spake, they suborned men, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. You know what suborn means? Bribed. They bought some, some witnesses to slander him. Hmm. And they made some fierce accusations. They're saying that he's blaspheming Moses and he's blaspheming God. That's pretty serious back then. Now you can say almost anything, anything now against God and nobody bats an eye. Verse 12 and they stirred up the people. Oh, the Twitter verse went crazy. Instagram lit up. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they all came upon Stephen and they caught him and brought him to the council. There they were, his accusations, blasphemy to, to say Moses, they're implying that he's mocking Moses and he's mocking God. And when he's dragged before court, look what happens. Verse 13, and they set up those false witnesses which said, this man ceases not to speak blasphemous words against his holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place amen and it's true the temple was not eternal and moses did i'm sorry uh, jesus did say every stone is going to be knocked down when i come back and shall change the customs which moses delivered us and he did change those customs didn't he aren't you glad How many? you brought a lamb to church today jesus changed that didn't he verse 13 verse 15 and all that we're going to this is great because this is where i'm going to finish today and all that sat in the council Looking steadfastly on him with scowls and with snarls, they saw his face as if it had been the face of a. That's breathtaking. We're going to pick that up next week, but and yet he beamed with joy like an angel. This is breathtaking. He, why is he so happy? He's just been dragged before court. He's been a, accused of of crimes against. The religion and against the city. I mean, the whole city was built on on the basis of having the temple. And here's an accusation. He wants this building destroyed. And when he stands up there, what does he do? He just looks like an angel. He's beaming with joy. He is thrilled. How far would you go serving the Lord? How much pressure would you take trying to be faithful to your calling? Stephen's a great example we're going to look at next week. All I know was, here's an example of somebody who just loved serving. And here's a new way he's serving. He didn't set himself to attack and to get on. I'm going to go to court. I'm just going to face him off. No. He says, I guess God wants me here. So next week, Stephen's going to go back through all the history of Israel. It's going to be a fantastic session. And you know, you ever heard the phrase, the only thing that men learn from history is that men never learn from history. That is so true. And he's going to go back and show how Israel has rejected everything that God ever tried to do in their life, including their Messiah. And it's a lesson for us. But let me finish with some final thoughts. What are the things that we need to do now, we need to focus our efforts on getting men spirit-filled. You ever wonder, why do you have a men made right meeting and not a women made right meeting. Women need to be made right too. (laughs) Yeah, they do. (laughs) But I believe our nation needs godly men, folks. Our nation, Ireland needs men. We're just, they're still celebrating 1916. These commemorations are about a different generation of men and the men that we need today have to be godly, not just political. Not just intelligent, but we need godly men. Ireland needs churches. What do churches need? Pastors who will set up and stand and never quit. That only comes from men who are godly. So moms, would you set out that you're going to raise godly men, godly young men, raising children on the Bible, walking with God, Loving godliness, you know what? Most people, boy, my son is so smart. Well, amen, he'll still go to hell, and if he doesn't get saved, he may sure help a whole lot more people go to hell. Amen. That little smart kid needs to get saved and needs to walk with God, and not that you stop being smart when you get saved, you actually grow smarter. You can know more than all your teachers when you love this book and you know this book. We need to raise godly. Men. And we need to start doing our Christianity instead of just believing. it. I don't doubt everyone in this room believes in Jesus. But are you doing it? Jesus. Does your wife see you living out the Christian life at home? Is, is, do your kids not find a perfect dad or a perfect mom, but a mom who strives to be like Jesus? We need to do our Christianity. And then we need to be prepared to get in trouble for it because you will get in trouble when you start doing things right because it's not going to be like everybody else. The rest of the world is going to go their own way and you start stepping off track and doing things God's way, the world is going to say, let's shut them down. And can we start to addict ourselves to prayer? I don't know how to convince you I can say it over and over and over, but prayer is the most important thing we can do. I've actually thought about this, Johannes. I've thought of actually having church. I might do this. We all come on Sunday morning, we're ready to sing, and I say, folks, we're not going to have church today as you normally think. We're just going to pray today. Because I believe that is more important than all the best messages I could ever preach. Than all the fancy PowerPoints and all the visuals, then all the singing. We've got to addict ourselves to prayer where I can tell and you can tell that we've spent time with Jesus. Then we need to addict ourselves to some ministry of the word where we know that there are people who need the hope that's found in this book. And We love giving out tracts. We love just serving And I have to ask you, if you don't know Jesus personally and you have no assurance of where you will go when you die, Jesus gave you the answer. You need to be born again. As a matter of fact, he said, you must be born again. You can call out to Jesus Christ right now and humbly ask to be saved. You don't have to do anything. We're talking about do, 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 I know, but that's after salvation. There's nothing to do to get saved. There's nothing to do to get born again, except ask and receive the gift of eternal life. There's no time to waste. You know, you know what God's doing right now? He's waiting for you. I'm, I've never understood how God could be so patient. If I were God, I would not be patient. And yet God is so patient. I got saved when I was 17. I always wondered, boy, I mean, when I was 16, I was racing and I flipped my car with my best friend in it because we took a real sharp turn. I didn't. Didn't handle it right, and the car flipped three times. I should have died. That was 16. I got saved when I was 17. God was very patient. Do you understand what I'm saying? I shouldn't have been alive when God saved me in June. When, when I was a year earlier and I was a fool, I should have died. God's very patient, and He's patient with you. You say, I, I come to this church, but I don't want to get saved, you dummy. God is patiently waiting for you to get saved. Do it today. Because not every time do you have a 16-year-old event, stupidity, and come out of it alive. Today's the day to get saved. You know, the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that good news? (laughs) While we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, him alone, and thou shalt be saved. And it's good for your whole house. <laughs> believe like your life counted on it because it does. Folks, there's some things we need to do today because we're a church that doesn't just believe. We start doing. Stand with me. Let's brown prayer. Thank you, Lord, for an example, church example in good things but also in problems The church at, at jerusalem their problem we can learn from and protect ourselves from following the same example and making the same mess could have divided that church could have could have made it this that first church in jerusalem where they had a church split in two different groups not serving one another but just taking care of their own. And we're not called to take care of our own. We're, supposed, we're called to take care of each other. Lord, um, thank you for giving us this example. But this example produced some special men like Stephen, and like Philip. And that's what I want us to see this morning. I, that as we walk away, we realize Stephen was not an apostle. Philip was not one of these top leaders in the church, they were just volunteers who had already dedicated their life to just walk with God and be full of the Holy Spirit. They they wanted to be ready to be servants. And if we could have that kind of men in this church, we could turn this city upside down. So burn in the hearts of the young men in this church and the old men too, a desire to be ready men. Men who who want to be godly the world has so ruined manhood manhood it is so defiled the thought life and the 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 mental life of young men but as long as they're still breathing they can be transformed they can become like Christ they can be forgiven they be washed they can be cleansed and they can be godly they can turn the world upside down that was destroying them So, Lord, I don't know what else to ask except help us so that we can keep those core activities, prayer and preaching the word, teaching the word, serving with the word. Help us to start to reach out and help one another, minister to one another, serve together, carry the load together like a church is supposed to be, and then watch what happens. Yeah, it might get scary, but that's Christianity. And that's what I want. I don't want my kind or anybody else's kind. I want the Bible kind. I pray that that would be the desire in every person in this room. And if there's somebody who's not saved today, maybe that's just confused, Lord, please help them have courage to come talk to me. Lord, I want, it'd be awful if the rapture occurred and there'd be some people left behind. that would be awful, God. Don't let that happen. Help every person in the hearing of my voice. Know that they know that they know that they're saved by the blood. In Jesus' name, amen.